Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap another week of free agency. There are several moves the Titans have made since our two-hour episode last week that we will be able to dive into just to run through a couple. Jayon Brown coming back. Josh Reynolds, uh, Kevin Johnson, Ty Sambrilo coming back. Titans reportedly interested in Sammy Watkins. Lots of things that we're going to be able to get into this episode. Additionally, uh, Isaiah Wilson is a free agent because he was waived by the Miami Dolphins. Lots of interesting topics to get into. If you enjoy what you're listening to, in this episode, why don't you follow us on social media at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook? You can also subscribe to or follow the show wherever you are listening. That will get you the easiest and fastest access to all of our new episodes. Let's start with really the first thing, guys, that that happened after our last episode, and that was that Jayon Brown is coming back on a one-year, $5 million deal. Now, we knew Matias has special jinxing powers. I don't think we realized that Will also had some of those powers that he had not yet tapped into. Because if you go back and listen to the very end of, of last week's episode, Will said... You know, I think they might get Jayon Brown back on a one-year, $5 million deal. So, so Will, you get the lead on, on this topic. Uh, how does it feel to uh, – I'll ask it this way, actually. When are you opening your palm reading business? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm perfectly in tune with John Robinson, that I can kind of feel his thoughts, but there was a moment of clarity there where it just, it just came out of my mouth. I Like, I – Barely remember saying it at the time, but then listening back, I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. And then, uh, you know, lo and behold, good thing we posted it as soon as we did. So it didn't sound faked or anything, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, we can talk about with the quality of the signing in a minute, but it just felt like it made sense at that point in free agency. I'm, I'm almost surprised that they haven't done it with a couple other guys like Daquan Jones and definitely not Javian Clowney, but we can talk about all that in a minute. I'm glad Will used his um, his powers for good because I usually <laughs> <Yeah>. use them. 
<laughs> negatively. Yeah, I don't. I don't love the way you blatantly throw your powers in my face. When you're like, wouldn't it be funny if uh, we got strip sacked here? And I'm like, no. And then it happens. We've talked so about I'm, this I'm, before. I think where the first instance of Matthias using his powers was that Thursday night Titans versus Steelers game with the Madden camera angle where Mariota looked awful and the team got destroyed. And and Matthias sent us a message before the game. He said, "Cody Sinspaugh's getting a pick six tonight, isn't he?" And then lo and behold, Cody Sinspaugh got a pick six. So, uh, all of the the fun and, and joking aside, having Jayon Brown back on a one year five million dollar deal, I think we would all three agree that that's great news for the Titans because it is uh, very cheap, and, and Jayon has given the Titans a lot of good play over the last four years. So, generally speaking, what does it mean to the defense to have Jayon Brown back and, I guess, one less hole that John Robinson will need to fill before August? Yeah, even though he wasn't, you know, good last year because really no one on the defense was was very good, uh, but before his injury, he really wasn't the Jayon Brown of the last couple of seasons. Uh, despite that, I wanted him back. I thought that if we could get him on a team-friendly deal, I would absolutely do that. Uh, just because I love his versatility, I still think he's very talented. I think uh, in the second year of this of this defense, Vrabel, Shambo, and defense, uh, I think he'll get better. And I think it's important to to bring him back because the defense is going through a lot of changes and. We saw last year what losing a couple of leaders could could do to the defense in Jarrell Casey and Logan Ryan. And Jayon Brown has always been that type of personality, that type of character. And keeping him, I, I think, is a smart move and one that should help the defense uh, improve from what was a disastrous season last year. I mean, for my money, the two best linebackers on the Titans roster right now are Jayon and David Long. So... I mean, I know Rashawn Evans will probably be a starter, but in as harsh as this sounds, I think it's kind of warranted. But anytime you have a chance to take Rashawn Evans off the field for a good reason, that's great. Like, if you can make Rashawn Evans a two-down backer who doesn't have to think too much and can stay inside the tackle box, great. If you want to make him a base end who plays, you know, edge in this 3-4, this weird overhang scheme that we play sometimes, cool. Like, whatever you want to do with him, that's fine. But as long as you understand that he's not a do-it-all linebacker that needs to be on the field the whole game, that's that that's I think that's all I'm asking at this point because we've seen Evans be good enough in the past where he should be trusted with some things, but I think his I, I don't want to say his focus needs to be narrowed necessarily, but I think he just needs to have a smaller playbook so he think too much because when he thinks you can see his steps are slow and he's not you know he's not making plays I think if you say okay don't even worry about third down you're you're not going to be out here and if you are it's just going to be as an edge first and second down these are your keys this is what we're looking for let's talk about that you know if you if you have him in that kind of situation that that's good and if you can sign Jayon Brown back and take that off his plate and put it on Jayon's plate. And now you've got two athletic linebackers that you're not afraid to get out there anyway. You know, that that's, that's all gravy. So not only do you find a way to get Rashawn Evans off the field with this move, you also 
add another layer of athleticism with somebody you know and somebody who you're not going to try to, you know, they're not going to try to put him out there and say, can you cover slot receivers? Let's see in a game. And then the answer is no, but they wait two weeks before they pull him off that duty. Like they should know pretty much everything there is to know about Jayon. And like I said, I think it's a good fit. Like I think this scheme, quote unquote scheme, should work for him as well as anything else. It's just about, you know, getting the pass rush up front and letting him be more fast flow instead of, you know, read and react. I would probably rather have Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown than any other combination that would be possible for the Titans at this point. Like I would rather have Jayon Brown than probably any rookie option they're going to get. Would y'all agree with that? It, mm, Jayon, yes. Not Rashawn Evans. But that, well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. The combo of the two. Because I think Evans is there either way. Because if, if Brown is gone, Evans is still going to be a starter. It's just going to be either with David Long or with a rookie. So, Yeah. I, I mean, if Evans starts out bad, like he's going to get benched. I don't think Vrabel... Do, do you guys think Vrabel likes him all that much? I don't think so. Like, he was so bad last year. I don't think you could just keep putting him out there. It was just a train uh, wreck for him. Like, first game, he punches uh, Jake Butt in the head and yeah. in the helmet and and then, like, kept getting penalties and looked lost on run plays. And his gap management was horrendous. It, it was... It's a very bad year for someone who looked previously to be a promising player, the uh, fr- friend of the pod who does our, our little intro before every episode. Uh, yeah, and, you know, that's kind of what the point of all this is. Like, I, I I blame some of this on Evans, but some of it's on Vrabel for not understanding what he's supposed to do. Like, Dean Pease left you a blueprint of this is how you use this player, this is what he does well. We went through the bumps and bruises of that in year one and year two. Here you go. And Mike Rabel just <laughs> was like, nah. Yeah, like like they are with everything that Dean Pease left. It's like, yeah, but what if we did stuff that didn't work instead? So, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I it would not shock me if, you know, I guess it would shock me a little bit, but I would understand it, is if – they made a, another signing at linebacker, drafted somebody, and then if Rashawn Evans wasn't working out, they traded him for like a fifth round pick to Atlanta. Like that is like some like Dean Pease. They you know they know what he is. They're not long term committed to him. He gives you more size inside. Like I can see that making perfect sense for all parties. But I mean, I think they're going to roll the dice and see how he does this year. But yeah, just back to your original question. Like I think we're in a position now where. We've always the three of us have always said that investing a first round pick in an inside linebacker is generally low upside, and even if it's safer, like it's not you're not getting the bang for your buck. Like you want to spend that on a premium position if we if you can. So I think having Jayon Brack back and sort of taking that out of the equation with the twenty second pick is value enough in itself. So whether or not you know, Jeremiah Usukoromoa or somebody like that, like it, I, I, we can debate later whether we think he should still be, he should be an option at 22 or not. But at the very least now, it's not like a gaping hole that 
you have to fill. Exactly. And that's what I was trying to say at the beginning is having Brown stick around for that cheat is one less item on the to-do list for John Robinson. An item that is definitely still on the to-do list for John Robinson is the wide receiver position. And we need to have a, a pretty lengthy discussion about this spot because there's a lot of moving parts here. Let's start with the news of Josh Reynolds entering the fold, the Titans signing the former Rams receiver to a one-year contract. Uh, What does this mean for the wide receiver core? What can they get out of Reynolds? And and then we'll transition into what do they still need beyond him. Uh, I really like this signing. Uh, It's not only a depth signing. It's also a guy who can start in a pinch. And if you don't find something you like in the draft or maybe in the rest of free agency – I think he can step into that number two role and be efficient because he showed it uh, with, with the Los Angeles Rams. He played both inside and outside, which uh, which is really important, especially uh, in the Titans' offense because they they ask their guys to you know uh, be versatile. And I think he could do that. He stepped up whenever Robert Woods or Cooper Cup were injured. Uh, he also kept Van Jefferson, who was a second round pick off the field like Josh Reynolds was playing so well that Sean McVay just didn't really let Van Jefferson get ahead of him uh, because he liked what Reynolds gave him. So I I think that's, I think that's a good, uh, I I think it shows well uh, of Reynolds and I like him as a player. Like I've always, I've always liked him. I think he does a lot for you. He's really good at the catch point, something that the Titans haven't really had. Uh, with a lot of their receivers, like a tall guy who can go up and get it and, and also be good in contested catch situations. And I, I just like his versatility. And, and I think his best football is still ahead of him. He, even though he was in a Rams offense that was pretty high octane for a couple of seasons, uh, he was still the third option, sometimes the fourth option in that offense. And if he is putting it into a situation where he has to make up for Corey Davis's uh, targets. I think he, he can respond and probably have the best year of his career. So I'm excited. I, I really I do like the signing and, and I'm glad that they did it because the the receiver position was starting to worry me a little bit. But with him in the fold and possibly a rookie in the first or second round, I think the position is looking pretty solid overall. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with almost everything you said, like maybe the most I don't know if I want to say impressive or interesting, but something unique that I didn't expect when I went back and watched him some after the Titans signed him is they line him up as like an H back a lot, which is like almost a wing or like a kind of almost like an off. It's hard. It's hard to explain, but he, he lines up basically as like an offline tight end. uh, If that, that makes sense. And he'll like go across formation and block or, he'll line up at the point or like at the top of trips and he'll line up there and he'll block there or they'll put him on the left side and they'll have trips or two receivers to the right side. And then they'll throw it to the left side and let him be a lead blocker. And blocking is obviously not the, the sexiest thing about a wide receiver. We've had plenty of conversations about that before, but I mean, Reynolds for as kind of, 
I, I guess like skinny, like long limbed, like lanky maybe is, is a good way to describe him. For how I remember him coming out of Texas A&M, I did not expect him to be the guy that they tried to set up a screen and swing passes behind. And he, he did it well. Like, And that's in addition to catching a Jared Goff pass, which is already one of the hardest things to do in football anyway. And so his ability to kind of adjust to those catches with less reps than the, you know, Robert Woods or uh, Cooper Cup, the guys in front of him, like it, it was pretty impressive how easy easily he fit in to the offense whenever they needed him to. And, you know, he could run stop routes. I mean, he can do anything. Like I coming out of college, I was afraid that he wouldn't be able to do like the shorter stuff because I thought he was just a long, deep speed kind of guy. But uh, he looks a lot more well-rounded than I remember. And I, I obviously I don't think he's going to be a replacement for Corey Davis or anything like that. But if you need a Band-Aid at a position, he kind of has some of the physical attributes that Davis did, even though he's not a carbon copy or an upgrade or anything like that. But again, a, a lot of this free agency is about upgrading the defense and then kind of patching the holes and seeing what you can get away with on offense. And I don't know if I agree with that necessarily, but at the very least, that's what they're going to try to do. And if that's their plan, this is a nice, cheap option that can kind of replicate some of the stuff that made Corey Davis valuable. Yeah, I think you used a great word there, Will, Band-Aid. Josh Reynolds is not the Corey Davis replacement because he's not – I think he's probably at least one or two notches below Corey Davis in terms of overall ability. But like you said, he does some of the same things – Perhaps from a stylistic standpoint, if you want to talk about the size and and the blocking. So you have that, but they're not done. They can't be done. This this can't be it. You have to, if you are the Titans, go into the draft and in either the first or second round, get your guy at wide receiver. Because there's going to be a lot of pressure on A.J. Brown, perhaps too much, if you don't do that. Now... We need to have this conversation. Based on an article that uh, our friend Joe Rexrode wrote for The Athletic, it would appear that the Titans are somewhat high on Nick Westbrook-Akeen and see him uh, potentially as the wide receiver four this year. And then you have uh, my colleague Buck Rising from A to Z Sports tweeting out that uh, the Titans see him as a, a potential wide receiver, too. And, and I sent you guys a text this afternoon. I don't know how much I buy that. I, I, I certainly think there's a chance that they see him as the wide receiver four. I, 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 I don't know about the wide receiver two business. But if John Robinson is banking on Nick Westbrook-Akeen, a year or two undrafted free agent, who had three catches as a rookie and a problem with drops in training camp. If John Robinson is counting on that guy to be the number two wide receiver and Robinson has convinced himself that that guy is good enough to be the number two receiver, then I'm out on John Robinson at that point because I, I, I see no logic. I see no sense, reason behind that at all. As the first ever Nick Westbrook Akeen stand, 
who actually wrote about him in an article like six months ago or whatever it was and said he was a dark horse to make the team as maybe the fifth receiver or something like that. I would just like to say that's insane. There's no possible way that he could be the wide receiver two. He He's not ready to be a wide receiver three either. Wide receiver four, maybe if you get a talented rookie in the first round, uh, I think that would be fine, but I'd feel more comfortable – comfortable if he was uh the fifth my, my thing is i wouldn't be shocked if mike Vrabel just you know just really loves him because we know that Vrabel and the coaching staff they tend to pick favorites uh i don't know if it's because of their their practice habits or whatever but we saw it with jameel douglas we saw it with matt dickerson so it wouldn't surprise me if they if they do think very highly of him but there's no way that like there's no way they're gonna give him that big of a role i it just wouldn't make logical sense and i think you'd be putting a lot of pressure on him who like you said even though he was productive in college uh before he got injured i think it was a sophomore year he had like a thousand yards or something you like you can't put this much on, on the plate of a second year undrafted free agent who like you said has three catches in his career that would be absolutely insane you know what this reminds me of a little bit is the Rashard Davis situation last year. Because we kept getting told by the Titans themselves and by reports that, oh, they're pretty high on this Rashard Davis guy, and and that's the reason they didn't bring Tajay back, is he's the wide receiver for. And, oh, you should have just seen some of the things he was doing in practice behind closed doors, and, and it will all come to head. And then he didn't make the team. Like, this sounds kind of eerily similar to how all of that began, no? That's a great callback. Great callback. Yeah, and I mean, just kind of to circle back to the other point, they don't they don't think he's the wide receiver two, or else they wouldn't have signed Reynolds. I mean, Reynolds is wide receiver three. <laughs> well, there's a dozen other guys that you can pay less money than Reynolds to come be your wide receiver three, like. There, there's no reason to pay if you if you think he's just the wide receiver three. I mean, there's better guys suited to play like in the slot if that's where you're. You know, that's what you want to do. Like, it it just it's it's not. It's all I don't want to say fake news or anything like that, but it does all feel like, uh, isn't this funny? Like, I think it's more just he'll make the team as like a special team slash depth guy. I, I don't, I don't bind any of that. It would be. Uh, I think I said in our group message that it would be unprecedented, that it would be something that has, w- doesn't match up with anything Robinson has ever done before. So I, I would be very shocked, especially with a new offensive coordinator. Like, who? It, there's not an Arthur Smith in there to just stand on the table and say, like, hey, this is my guy. I believe in him. Like, I want to give him a shot. Like, that, I mean, I guess Rob Moore, his wide receiver coach, could. But, I mean, he wasn't doing it for him during the season. It, I mean, Cameron Batson and Khalif Raymond were getting plenty of snaps with Nick Westbrook-Akeen on the roster. So, I, I don't I don't see how it's possible that anybody inside the organization thinks he's more than a wide receiver for. So, I, I just, I mean, I guess take it for what it's worth, but it just absolutely doesn't seem like that there's any legitimacy to that. Will, you mentioned something interesting, uh, the idea of bringing in someone to like be a dedicated slot guy. Personally, I think that 
you know, without Corey Davis and without Adam Humphreys, who were two plus guys, I think this is your license if you're the Titans to use AJ Brown to death in the slot outside. You know, I think having Adam Humphreys necessitated him being in the slot on third down virtually every time he was out there. Whereas now, I think you can use, you can finally use AJ Brown's versatility to your advantage. Because if you remember uh, in the draft back in 2019, AJ Brown sort of profiled as that big slot guy, like a, a Michael Thomas or someone who, who, who plays that sort of a role. And obviously, he has developed into a very nice uh, perimeter receiver. But I think. Not having a pigeonholed, this is my slot receiver to go along with A.J. Brown can let you move A.J. Brown around. And so I think it would behoove the Titans to, probably in the draft, whatever guy to add, find someone else who has that versatility, which these days is becoming a lot easier. Receivers are just generally more versatile. You're seeing less and less of the Cole Beasley, Adam Humphreys, uh, you know, Brandon Stokely, Wes Welker, this is my slot receiver. And it's guys that can kind of do a little bit of everything. And so I think having the ability to move A.J. Brown around, because without Corey Davis, he is your guy. And, and you want him to take the next step this year and go from really good to dominant. And I think having the ability to play him wherever you want on third downs is going to be key to that. I totally agree. I'm not a huge fan of having that dedicated slot receiver, even though it does work for some teams like, uh, like the bills with Cole Beasley or you know, the Cowboys before when Cole Beasley was there. Uh, I still like the ability to play your best players and match them up with, cornerbacks in the slot or outside like we see it with the tampa bay buccaneers all the time mike evans always lines up in the slot so does chris godwin but when they split them out wide also like they get admin matchups and it just leads to really good offensive success we see it with the falcons also with calvin ridley julio jones and yeah aj brown is that guy like he's that talented and there's still meat on the bone left for him like he has been so incredibly efficient but he's never been a target hog yet like the his first two seasons he got 84 targets and 106 targets go look at the target counts for other wide receiver ones they're like in the 150 to above range like it's crazy that he's doing what he's doing uh and he also he also hasn't been like a full-time player like he got 68 percent of the snaps uh his rookie year and, and then last year he played 71 percent of the snaps so like, there's more to be had with A.J. Brown. It's incredible how talented he is and how productive he's been. But you let him play all around and you let him play all the time, and we could see, like, a historically good season. And I'm excited uh, to see if they if they do that and they let him be as great as he can be. Well, you know, I, I, I try to let you have your dreams as long as I could. They have their starting slot receiver. It's Anthony Ferkser. Like, it, he led he led the team in slot snaps last year. 
they they basically committed to him telling him he's going to be the tight end one and they don't think he's a blocker so if they think he's going to be on the field a lot i'm assuming they're going to use him a lot in the slot anyway like i mean there's a good chance that he leads the team in slot snaps this year too so you know they they may use aj brown inside more like that that would be cool like they i mean they could put out a cameron batson type or whatever they want out on the outside just for schematic purposes that that's all you know that that doesn't bother me at all but the titans run more uh, let me say it, let me say this a different way the titans run fewer three wide receiver sets than i think all but one team in the nfl like they just don't use three wide receiver sets a lot they like their multiple tight end looks they like and then they like having Ferks out on the field and i understand why like he catches that he he's basically a bigger version of adam humphreys like he can catch the ball. He can, you know, if it's a third and seven, he can go to eight yards deep, catch it, fall forward. And if there's not anybody around, he can turn up field and get extra yards. Like, I, I totally get why they like him there. You know, I would almost even stop calling him a tight end, but I think they want him to kind of develop into that guy. So, you know, for as much as myself included, for as much as we all talk about, oh, they need to sign another wide receiver. I think they think they've got their starting three now unless they get a better option in the draft. And I think they'll sign another free agent at some point, and I think they'll definitely draft one probably inside the top 100. But it wouldn't surprise me if they pass on one in the first round. I think there's more value in the second and third round, and we can talk about more that more during the draft you know, kind of lead up. But I, I would expect one more signing in free agency and, you know, that we may already have our starting three now, especially with this coaching staff and how NFL, you know, these old school NFL coaching staffs are hesitant to start rookie wide receivers anyway. Well, uh, and the Titans, I don't have, like that, have recently been super slow with bringing rookies along, other than AJ Brown, but that was just because he was so good you couldn't help yourself. Like, it, you know, it's like. Just kind of dip, you know, Rashawn Evans didn't play a major role until like week six or seven. Um, I'm trying to think back to some of the other recent ones. Uh, well, the only guy, the only guy they've given like a, a real role from the first whistle was Chris Jackson for some weird yeah. reason. <laughs> Well, they have a really Conklin, weird habit but... of like letting their guys get injured. Like, I mean, I, I guess it's not yeah. really a habit on them, but it's like Jeffrey Simmons, you know, took his time to get back up. Evans had a hamstring thing in camp. Uh, AJ Brown had a hamstring thing in camp. Corey Davis had an ankle thing in camp that he worked through and started. Like, Adoree Jackson, I think, probably started pretty quick out the gate. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the guys they draft they can't get on the field early enough and it's up to that depth to kind of these band-aids that we've been talking about to keep them afloat until they can get those guys out on the field. But I mean, yeah, like there's, there's not like a sense of urgency. Like if we don't get our top two picks on the field now, this team's going to sink. Like they, they try to build themselves around veterans and then hope that the rookies infuse talent and that you get guys that you want to build your team around later down the line. I just want to go back to your – would you guys feel good if the starting three are Reynolds, A.J. Brown, and and Ferkser? Oh, heck no. No. Okay. I also think it, 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 it kind of like handicaps you because 
uh, the only two tight ends on the roster right now with experience are Furkser and Swaim. I, I know Will has talked about the Pinkney guy, but I have no idea who he is. I don't think he's ever played. Like, well, I, I know they're not done adding adding pieces, but I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, feel like they, if, they, if that's they what I'm facing as a defensive coordinator, I'm going to put my best cornerback on A.J. Brown and give him a dedicated safety. And then the other guys, I'm going to trust that, that you know, my number two cornerback can beat Josh Reynolds one-on-one. And, and that, you know, if we uh, play the way we need to play, that you can keep Anthony Ferkser from creating separation and getting open over the middle. Like, that is a very unfrightening group, as good as A.J. Brown is, because it allows you to just sort of try to take him out because you're not really worried about anybody else doing much. Now, a name that we're not mentioning in all of this, who I don't think is a receiver, but needs more of a role on third down and can be a part of the solution to this problem. Notice I'm saying part of the solution. He is not the solution. Darrington Evans, they have to get that guy involved. Because when he finally got healthy and they gave him snaps against the Lions, dude was electric, super fast. And, exa- and and we watched that and we thought, all right, this is what we thought that the Titans were getting when they drafted him in the third round. And then we never saw him again. And every time I got on Twitter and I was like, man, the Titans just need to get Darrington Evans involved. Like, he's electric, man. What's happening? Oh, he can't pass protect. I didn't say put him in there to stand there. I said put him in there to let him run a route. Like, come on. I'm with you. I, it would be a pretty big boon to the offense if if he does get involved and does stay healthy and we can use him uh, in different ways. And, yeah, you're right. He doesn't always have to just be lining up in the backfield. You can use him in in, in a variety of ways, which a lot of teams do with, with speedy, shifty running backs. And, yeah, he looked good. He looked good in the, in the, in the few touches that he got last year, uh, also on kick returns. So, I'm excited for him. I hope he can stay healthy because I think he'd be a, a, a pretty clear upgrade over McNichols in that third down running back role. But I also think he can help you out uh, in a pinch if you need someone to to step up uh, in terms of like slot targets or something like that. Yeah, like again, like I I don't disagree with the idea that they should try to make that work, but. I think if you see more of Evans this year, because again, I, I just don't think he can be a pass protector. Like maybe he grows into it, but that was my big concern with him when he was in training camp. And I was telling, you know, I was talking about how the Titans should trade for one of these other backups who are good at pass protecting and can also catch. But you know, they didn't do that, and the offense was fine. But I, I think if you see him, it'll be in these two back sets that are real popular in college now. That kind of like automatically build in. Play- action and also like easy pat like they're they're really interesting and i think the highest i think ucf runs it a lot and it's not a college offense like oh this is a gimmick that only works like it it's fundamentally sound i think we've seen more two back sets in the nfl lately than we have in a while but that's that's for a different time um i do want to go back to the point where y'all you asked the question of is it scary if that's your starting three but that was two thirds of your starting three for most of the season last year, anyway. 
So like, you know, really all you're asking is, are you comfortable with, uh, Corey Davis being replaced by Reynolds because that's the only change based on how many snaps everybody played there. And keep in mind, but we had John new. We also had yeah, John but we also didn't have Lawan. Like so, and I, and I'm not saying that he makes a you know a huge difference as a skill position player, but it does make the running game more threatening. And you know, I, again, John New Smith caught what for had 440 yards. Like go go into Luke's big point here is. Berkser was had sixty fewer yards than John New Smith. So and, like, and yet we continually get told that there is no way imaginable that Anthony Ferkser can replace the passing game production of of the almighty John New Smith. Yeah, so like this all goes back to it like even if you don't want it, it is what worked. Like if Reynolds can be an eight hundred yard guy. Like he's been, I think he had 699 or something close to that uh, one year when he got a, a ton of volume. Like if he can be that guy in this offense that creates mismatches just based on running play action. So, because remember, Luke, like you said earlier, it, in theory, it would be great if you could just put your number one corner on the other team's number one wide receiver. But that's not how teams operate. I think there's like two or three shadow corners in the NFL. Most everybody else just picks a side and stays on it. Like it's that's just how defenses are. It's easier that way with more no huddle and up tempo stuff. It's just how defenses have to operate at this point. So if your best corner is Lattimore and he only stays on the defensive left side, then you just move AJ Brown to the other side. You know, so the, like there's it, it's not as cut and dry as we were talking about earlier, and. I, I think Corey Davis is great. I would have given him the money, no no question. But there is something to be said about the fact that this offense is pretty easy if you're the number two wide receiver in this scheme because you're going to get good matchups based on, like you said, safety help, and you're also going to get guys who are sucked into the running game because whether it's effective or not, the running game affects passing lanes. Like play action affects the way defenders play the just play from their first step on and it it helps to be the the quote-unquote other guy in that situation so i mean we'll see how that goes but just in terms of like oh no the titans are doomed it's i mean really like the titans top three for the majority of last season was aj brown Corey davis and if it's not Ferkser, then I guess it's Batson or somebody else. Like, I mean, I guess you could call Johnu, but Johnu lined up in line most of the time. So it's not like they had this three-headed monster anyway. Yeah, that that's exactly the point I've been trying to make. Uh, and we can have the Johnu discussion certainly at another point because we're going to have lots more opportunities to have that conversation. Is there anything else we need to say about the receivers? Sammy Watkins has has reportedly been on the Titans' radar, but my inclination is to say that they were interested in him before they signed Reynolds, and then they signed Reynolds, and like I don't think that would make any sense. I also don't really like Sammy Watkins, so no, that's that's a a an easy pass for me. That guy has never been healthy. He's or been good. overrated for most. Yeah, no, I was going to say he's been overrated for like his entire career. Yeah, it, I mean, he, and he, he hates Rob Moore. 
<laughs> yeah, the Rob Moore thing is like the what, biggest what red flag. What happened there? He threw him under the bus after he left Buffalo because uh, Rob Moore was Rob Moore, who is the Titans' wide receivers coach, was Sammy Watkins' wide receivers coach in Buffalo at the beginning of his career with Rex Ryan. Mm. And, and it didn't work out. And he was like, "That was my fault. That was his Rob fault." Rob Moore blah, blah, blah. is a good coach. <laughs> I think we're seeing a yes. pattern here. <laughs> Yeah, um, like if you're looking, you know, at Sammy Watkins, like if they get him fine, like he'll, like he all, like he can be the wide receiver three or whatever if he's cheap. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in a multi-year deal for him unless it's like those fake, affordable years. But if you're looking for somebody, and I've heard this name a little bit, is uh, Jameson Crowder. If he gets cut because he's making ten million dollars or something this year, that's almost all like gone. If he cut, if he gets cut, like. If the Jets like Mims and they like um, Corey Davis, which they obviously do, and they're going to keep Sam Darnold, it looks like, which is what Corey Davis said this morning, then it looks like the smart thing to do would be to trade down. And if they trade down to like nine and they have another receiver there like Waddle or somebody else, sooner rather than later – Jameson Crowder could be on the market and he's a pretty like uh, I mean I, I don't want to say him like a desi- call him like a designated slot guy but I think he does really well in the slot and he's been uh, the best receiver for the Jets for a couple of years and if not the best uh, one that was you know really underused and who would fit in this kind of offense so uh, that that's a guy and I think this is a trend also to watch is other people trying to figure out where they're spending too much money and where they need to address. Like I think wide receivers are still going to hit the market after this point, but that's the biggest name other than maybe Anthony Miller from the bears who might get traded or cut. But like the, the, there are some guys, if you want a designated slot guy and you're not sold on Ferkser that I think will be out there. Well, look these days because of the way that college football is played Every year from here on out is going to be a strong wide receiver class. You know, as long as college football is played in the way that it currently is, every year there's going to be, you know, 10 guys that you would be really happy to have on your team. And the Titans are going to just this year are going to have to go get one, maybe two of those guys. I think that's the takeaway from this conversation. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And, and the free agency pool has has really, you know, thinned out. Uh, yeah, I mean, unless unless you're sold on Antonio Brown, I don't think anyone is, and I don't think anyone is sold on T. Y. Hilton either. So uh, they're definitely rather, probably going to go young. I'd rather have Hilton than Watkins. Yeah, yeah, Hilton, yeah, yeah. Low key is not not a bad option at this point in free agency and what he would probably cost like again just as a wide receiver too but and there is an interesting back to indy though isn't he like they keep recruiting him back Uh, i'm seeing all these tweets from from cold yeah they said like they tried to say that he was coming back and he was like y'all wish i would come back and that was the last <laughs> I saw about it. And so I was like, oh, that's a weird way to respond to uh, your teammates. I mean, but <laughs> me personally, I'd rather play with Tannehill than Carson Wentz. Now that's just me. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's like, or truly any other quarterback, <laughs> you know, not named Mitch <laughs> Trubisky or whatever. Like, although I guess he's a backup for the Bills now. But yeah, like, I, I don't, I don't know why 
he would go back there. He can't think they're close to a champion. Like he can't think that they're closer now than they were last year with Anthony Costanzo and Phillip rivers and Justin Houston and all those guys. So I, I, I don't know. Like if the Titans signed him, I, he's probably the best receiver they could sign at this point. And I've been an anti T Y Hilton guy for a while, but I do think there is something to him as a wide receiver too. Like, I think that would be really interesting. We move on now to, for the last time probably, maybe, I don't know, Isaiah Wilson. Cut by the Miami Dolphins mere days after being traded to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, There's been a lot of debate on Twitter. It's like, should we feel bad for him? Should we, you know, point and laugh? Like, look. I, I feel bad that there's clearly something going wrong with him. Uh, he's clearly not all there mentally because we look at this situation logically and we say this is a guy who's throwing away tens of millions of dollars that literally he could have just showed up to get. Uh, so there's that element to it. But also, like, I think Titans fans and Dolphins fans have every reason to be angry and upset with this guy. Uh, You know, days after he's traded to Miami, we start seeing these videos pop up on his Instagram that that got shared to Twitter of him, like, twerking or thrusting on the back of a car and then, like, driving, smoking some sort of substance. Uh, it's just who this guy is right now. I mean, it wasn't a terribly surprising development, I don't think. I really thought we had escaped talking about him after we cut him, but it just never ends. It never ends with this guy. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like like a bad person for saying, you know, he's a loser, but, like, I, I don't know, man. I don't I don't feel bad for him because it looks like he's having the time of his life and he doesn't really care about anything. He's just enjoying himself. He's partying with, with women all the time. Uh, he's, he's dancing on top of cars. Uh, I don't know. To me, it doesn't seem like he really has a mental issue. It seems to me like he just has a little bit, bit of money and he's just living his life and doing whatever he wants. So like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe that makes me a bad person for saying for saying that, but I don't know. I have a hard time feeling bad for him and saying that he needs help when clearly he doesn't want it and clearly he's having the time of his life doing whatever he wants. So, I don't know. That that that's where I'll leave it. Also, oh man, he was he's in Miami, right? Like that's where all those videos happen. Yeah. I, yeah. I live here. It has been an absolute disaster with all the spring breakers coming down here from all over the all over the country. I wouldn't be surprised if I if I had gone down to South Beach, I probably would have seen him jumping on top of cars or something. I didn't. That would have been a cool exclusive report from from the <laughs> podcast. So sorry sorry about that, but <laughs> but I don't know, man. Like he, he just seems like he, he's a young guy and, and he's partying and he's drinking and he's having a good time. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think he's always had somebody <laughs> well, I, telling him. What I, I fully, well, I fully expected you by. Yeah, I mean, f that dude, right? 
<laughs> I mean, like, the thing is, is I think he's uh, going to an SEC school and being as young as he was, whatever. Like, I think he's always had somebody telling him, like, hey, this is what you have to do next. This is what you have to do next. And then it's like a kid when they go to college and, you know, your parents say, okay, now you have to get yourself up and you have to pay for your own groceries and do all that. And, like, you go and then you realize you actually have to do it. But the difference is, is, he got drafted during a quarantine quarantine year where they couldn't be on top of him from the get go. And he also made millions of dollars in a signing bonus. So it's like, okay, you're in a new place. Here's millions of dollars. You're 20 years old or, or uh, 21. Maybe you're very young. And, uh, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, nobody will know and you can get away with it. And even if you get caught, you're a first round pick. So who cares? Like, and it's like, Oh, that's the worst case scenario for somebody who came into college weighing 375 pounds or whatever, because they couldn't stop themselves from eating. So like, you know, it, it, it was, it was just the wrong place at the wrong time for him. And it spiraled out of control. And, it's not a situation where I think people who are like, we need to like pray for him and all that. Like, look, like you can do that, but it, he's not like trapped anywhere. Like this is all things that he's doing that he's choosing to do. Like he's been told by people that, you know, he needs to, you know, get it together and do all this stuff. And he's chosen not to do that. And that's like, that's fine. Like that, it, that just is what it is. Like, don't feel bad for him. Like he's choosing what he, he wants to do and he's doing it like uh, just yeah that that was that was my point it's not like we're yeah. seeing videos of him d- like face down in in a ditch or something or we yeah. see him in, in rehab like if, no he's just he's just at parties and he's yeah. just having a good time if if you wanted the the whole sympathy part of it like the the time that everybody should have been sympathetic was when he like did that thing on Snapchat where he's like, nobody cares about me or whatever. And then like quickly deleted it or whatever. (laughs) Like that, like that's like, that's when you should have felt bad for him because it seemed like he was in a bad place mentally. Like he looks fine mentally now. Like, you know, if he's hurting, he's definitely not showing it. So, you know, he wants to live his life day by day and he's not worried about what's going to happen in 10 years. He just wants to have fun today. You know, cool. Like we're like, Nope, we're not his parents. That's his decision. He's a grown man. Like he, he's a grown man. He's a millionaire. You know, let him, let him do his thing. And whatever happens, happens. But you know, he is, he, he's gotten the wake up calls, quote unquote, that he, you know, he's gotten all of them that he's going to get. There's no thoughts and prayers. Just like, hey, cool. That's what the grown adult is choosing to do. Ah, uh, you know. There were these people that tried to say that him getting cut would be like a wake-up call or him getting traded would be a wake-up call. If crashing into a concrete wall while drunk and then getting arrested is not the wake-up call, nothing is going to be the wake-up call. That's my two cents. No, no. Like, well, well, what is scarier... Than, than crashing your car. <laughs> like, I don't know, almost getting shot or something. Like, he would yeah. have to get robbed or something at but, gunpoint for him to be see, like, oh, man, might be bad. <laughs> but that's the thing that you guys were bringing up. Like, it's not like he's, like, 
in a gang or like doing Pac-Man Jones type of things. He's just being a fool. Like, yeah, he's just he li- he's living like a spring breaker. Like, that's just a, what he's doing. It, like, it, it it's, is, it's like a, it, it's oh. spring break with a hint of Grand Theft Auto and it never ends. Yeah, I mean, it's like. You know, if he does something like illegal, illegal, like, and I know, uh, you know, everything's illegal if, if it's not legal, kind of like if he does something that would get a normal celebrity athlete arrested, like then he'll have to deal with that then. Like, and I'm obviously not like, look, as soon as he got traded from the Titans, I got no ill will towards him. You you do whatever you want to do. Like I, <laughs> the Titans got a seventh round pick back. Great. Not, not my problem. Not my concern. Good luck. Like. I, I, nobody, you know, all these Titans fans now who come out and they're like, oh, he sucks. I hate that guy. I hope you cry. I'm like, look, man, like, why do you care? Like, it, it's, it's interesting to see the stories because it's, it's, it makes Tennessee fans feel like they were right because they said they were told for about three days that, oh, what a stupid move by the Titans. I can't believe they gave up on him so early. Like, this is the, like, like you said, Luke, this is the wake up call he needed. Now he's going to be like, at worst, he's going to be one of the best backups in the NFL. Well, I mean, now somebody else can sign him and see if he's going to be the best backup in the NFL for them. But I mean, other than uh, the redemption of knowing that somebody else also looked at him and said, I think that guy can do it. Like that guy's tape says he can do it. I think his character is better than is being reported because I've talked to like Flores was went to his high school. So I'm sure he like, they talked to the, you know, mutual people that know both of them, blah, blah, blah. Like it seemed like maybe everybody who was around Isaiah Wilson from 2019 and before thought that he was going to be on the straight and narrow and he was going to be a contributor, uh, you know, Maybe they truly thought that enough to tell Flores that too, but whatever happened, another team also bought into him. And all that feels like redemption for Titans fans because they thought they were getting a steal. And then they saw what the Titans fans saw and what the Titans front office saw. And, you know, now, now, now it's out of our life. We, it's hot potato and the Titans are not the last one holding the potato. So whatever. I feel I feel kind of bad for Dolphins fans. I, I remember when when they made the trade for Wilson, uh, a couple of them because I live down here, so I'm friends with Dolphins fans. They were like, "Tell me why I shouldn't be excited about a former first round pick being <laughs> traded to, to me for nothing." And I legit, what I said word for word is, "He will never play in the NFL, and if he does, he will be a disaster." And then the the day he gets cut, I'm like, "I told you." Like, it was so obvious. Uh, one of the funniest texts I've gotten over the last year was I was I was arguing that the Titans needed to play him when Ty Sambrilo got hurt. I was like, look, I know he's a mess off the field, but he's your first-round draft pick. Put your money where your mouth is. If he sucks, take him out, whatever. But at least give him a chance. That was sort of my argument. And I had, I had texted Buck Rising that, and he responded – to me saying they need to play him buck said hasn't he been through enough already (laughs) oh my god (laughs) implying that we will always have that that snap on the on the (laughs) (laughs) where he just got bulldozed 
<laughs> and again, like that's that's kind of how you're supposed to play that. Like you would like to stay upright, but your job is to stop the guy in front of you. But if you if if he would have known that was his only play of his NFL career, I think he probably would have tried a little bit harder. But <laughs> he did he did get that, the kneel downs. <laughs> yeah, and then he ran out on the field after Derrick Henry ran in the uh touchdown in overtime versus the Ravens, which is really weird. But uh, there's, there are pictures of him doing that, which I think is super weird because you know, he seems bought in in that moment. Uh, oh, my gosh. Well, he's a free agent, so if anybody needs a, uh, a right tackle, he's yours. It's time for Stop the Nonsense, guys. I'll get us started this week. So I, uh, I, I posted a poll to Twitter today because I was sitting thinking – you know, the Titans got Bud Dupree, who I love, and I like Danico Autry, but, man, they purged the roster so much for cap. Are they any better than they were two weeks ago? So I just tweeted. I said, are the Titans any better now than they were two weeks ago? It's a toss-up for me, and I made it a poll. You could answer yes or no. Well, all these people start responding, I think they will be better after the draft. Yes, I am aware that in a month, they will be able to take seven to nine college football players. And that, as a result, the roster will be better. I am aware that that is how this works. I appreciate everyone informing me of that. Uh, But my question was simply, are they better now than they were two weeks ago? And pretty much every response, with a couple exceptions, was, well, you know, Sure, maybe not now, but in a few... uh, Just answer the question. I'm not an idiot. I know how this works. Thank you. I don't know. That got to me today. You're asking for a lot there. Especially on Twitter. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I mean... It, it's it's tough because I do see their part of the argument, which we've we've talked about this before, but like... If your if your question is clear, like it's not are the Titans going to be better in twenty twenty one? It's are they better right now? And it's, it's it, like it's yeah. If, like if the, the first se- person responded, it's if the season started this afternoon, would they be better than they were in twenty twenty? The answer to that question is no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure they're not they're not better right now than they were last year. Like it's that feels obvious. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe you could really, really hate Adore Jackson and some of the guys they cut, and uh, maybe you could really like Jackrabbit. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go next if, if, uh, if Will doesn't mind. So, so uh, I don't know if you guys have been following with March Madness. I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners have been. And there's a team in the Sweet 16 – from Oral Roberts University, they were a 15 seed. Uh, they beat number two seed Ohio State, then they beat the Florida Gators, number seven seed. Uh, and it's an improbable run, honestly, because you never see, you usually don't see a 15 seed uh, win the first round, period. But to make it to the Sweet 16, I think it's only happened uh, once before with Florida Gulf Coast University. Uh, but today I saw an article. Uh, from Hamal Javeri. Oh, I butchered that name, sorry. But <laughs> she's a writer for, for USA Today. 
Uh, and she writes, Oral Roberts University isn't the feel-good March Madness story we need. As the university gains national attention, the focus shouldn't just be on their very good men's basketball team, but on their prejudiced teachings and moral regressiveness. What? Look, she she makes good points because it, it's an evangelical school. I think that's the proper term for it. And they do have some pretty outdated policies and, and you know, uh, moral beliefs. But my thing with this is how many other universities were probably founded on a lot of the same morals and values? And in addition to that, these play like these kids that are that have gone on this run for this basketball team, they probably just went there because they got a scholarship and they just wanted to play basketball. They weren't exactly. ingrained in the teachings of of Oral Roberts, who was a televangelist in 1963. Yeah. Oh, are you like, come on, man. Just like, let them have a little bit of fun. I, I, that that bothered me a little bit. We, we've lost the ability as a society to compartmentalize. You know, like y- you can't, you know, if, if a – and I'm not talking about Dr. Seuss, you know, if but if a book that is objectively fine content-wise had an author that was problematic in some way, well, now the book itself is bad – like we, we can no longer compartmentalize, you know, the basketball team is not Oral Roberts, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's just, tough. it's cancel culture. That, that's what, that's what has happened. Yeah. I mean, it, it is always hard to separate it, it, it. Everything under, you know, the flag of like the University of Tennessee, for example, or whatever, it's like. That everything that university does does not speak to everything the student athletes want to do, and vice versa. Like, it, it's not you know if if like let's say y'all aren't old, or maybe Matthias you do, but probably not because you're not from Tennessee. Uh, There's a guy named Jansen Jackson who uh, was like a five star safety for the Vols. He was right behind Eric Berry. He was supposed to be kind of the next guy up, and he just could not stay out of trouble. And it was like. Anytime he like got arrested or whatever, people weren't like the University of Tennessee is terrible. It's like they need to stop doing drugs or stop robbing people or whatever. It's like if it doesn't work both ways and don't put everything the school stands for on the players there. Like they're just trying to get to the next level. Like just relax and leave them alone. Um, while we're talking about things that don't make sense and aren't connected, uh, I'll do my stop the nonsense. So. This is a Titans podcast. It's not a Bengals podcast, but uh, it is also a generally anti-Dan Orlovsky podcast. And mm. Mel Kuyper was going over his uh, his mock draft today, and it, it, it was interesting, like whatever. Like the Titans took Kadarius Tony. That's interesting and cool. Like I'm, I'm, I'm down. But uh, on the fifth pick, he had the Bengals take Kyle Pitts, and I get it. Like, they took Jonah Williams in the past. Everybody says Penny Sewell, but they've kind of backed off of that because, you know, people have realized he's not for everybody. Like, he's more finesse, blah, 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 like, all this kind of stuff. But Mel Kuyper, who's, like, watches people, presumably, or whatever, brings this up, and he says, you know, I just take Kyle Pitts. I think he's a generational talent, all this, that, and the other. And Dan Orlovsky, you know, comes out with this grand statement where, it had there's only one pick for this team and it can't be Kyle Pitts like you have to uh, 
you have to think about then this is what got me. You have to think about Cincinnati nine years from now, not just next year. And what? that's that's the dumbest and most. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it, it's this idea that like a general manager, if you draft a tight end, he may only be good for one, two years. Same thing with a wide receiver. But if you draft an offensive tackle, they'll be there forever. And they'll be good forever. <laughs> what is happening? And it's this weird thing that people don't seem to understand, but it's going to happen now. It's going to happen during the draft. Somebody is going to say they're going to do analysis and they say, you know, you've got a great starter at left tackle for the next 10 years. Like they'll say that and they're wrong. It doesn't work that way. It very, very rarely works that way. And even if you do get somebody who's good enough to be a starting left tackle for 10 years, first of all, they probably won't be with the same general manager because it doesn't matter who your offensive tackle is. Like That doesn't keep you around. It's what your quarterback does and how well your quarterback performs. Secondly, they pro- like the Titans just had Conklin go and make an all- another all-pro because they couldn't afford to keep him around because the Browns just threw as much money as they could at him. Like The idea that once you draft an offensive tackle, it's not like somebody who could leave like a wide receiver. There are fewer wide receivers that are like wide receiver one, like studs that hit the open market than offensive tackles. There's more change in offensive tackle in this league than almost any other position except for maybe running back. So it's crazy to me that we're still listening to these people who believe these outdated things like Orlovsky, whose protection is all on the offensive line, which is false. And that offensive tackles are mainstays and people you build teams are like, I just, I hate that we regurgitate the same things, but it just comes from people who know less and less and less about what they're talking about. By the way, with Kyle Pitts, I feel like I learned my lesson with OJ Howard on the take a tight end in the top five, because I was all over OJ Howard. I thought he was going to be the greatest thing to ever happen to football. And that's what I keep getting told Kyle Pitts is going to be. But when was the last tight end taken in the first round that was like Pro Bowl level, like really, really good? Um, and Hawkinson has not been that. Yeah, Hawkinson is maybe on his way, but he hasn't really shown it yet. The thing with Pitts is that Jonu Smith is better than T.J. Hawkinson. Uh, jo- uh, Hawkinson went. Uh, just so we don't know. Um, but the point for, is, for like, just call him wide or like. Just like just he's six four and he runs past corners when they try to cover him. Like just call him a wide receiver and it's fine. Like because I am very anti tight end. Like this whole because usually when people take first round tight ends, they're like, oh, you want somebody who can stay in line and block and catch. It's like <laughs> yeah, no. Like the most successful tight end that's been drafted in the first round in the last few years is Evan Ingram, and and even like, he hadn't that, been that good. Yeah, and even and even Giants fans don't like Evan Ingram. But at the very least, he's been productive at times. Like it just there's there's never value there. And like you said, people always swear up and down. They're like, I can't believe they got him at number ten, or I can't believe that he went to twelve. And they're all you know, they always end up being busts or being guys with other teams. So like, I I definitely same thing with guards, same things with safeties. Like it, it just it doesn't it doesn't work out, and you don't get the value you need to there. Uh, so yeah, like I, I'm not for drafting Kyle Pitts if your job is if you're, if you're saying I'm going to use him as a true tight end like Delaney Walker. But if you're like actually 
he's just going to be like Marquise Colston, where we call him a tight end, but really he's like our number one wide receiver. We just line him up in the slot sometimes real close to the line of scrimmage. All right. I think that's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week. And guess what starts next week, guys? But Draft prep. Draft Draft. Draft. I'm finally going to have to watch some prospects. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it is, it's uh, awesome. I'll go okay. ahead and uh, send you all my big board. Uh, maybe the Titans' first round pick this year will be better than 2020 edition. Uh, until next week when we will begin draft coverage. For Willem and T.S. I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.